Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that everyone and anyone is welcome to enjoy, but it's also a podcast that may not be welcomed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hey, y'all. Ciao. What a day. <laughs> it's been so fucking annoying already. But we're here. Yeah. It's crazy After an how hour. you use the same recording software, and every time you use it, it's different. Something happens. Yeah. Mostly because Kristen's internet is really struggling. Um, I don't know what it is. She's not even in a rural area like me, so we're going to try to nope. get that worked out. Um, but yeah, there may be some issues. Hopefully not. By the way, I'm Kayla. Sorry. And I'm Kristen, the co-host. So today we have a case that is probably going to infuriate you a little bit. So just prepare yourself. And I'm excited about it because like I've been I'm already waiting irritated. to cover it. Oh my so. God. Well, yeah, we did start today <laughs> annoyed, but <laughs> I'm going to give you another reason to be annoyed. So. Let's just jump right into it, shall we? A 41-year-old Akron, Ohio native was an energetic, intelligent, and successful doctor with her own private family practice where she cared for over 7,000 patients. She was also a wife and mother to two children whom she loved more than anything. She had big goals and big ambitions and wanted to get the most out of life. But unfortunately, her life would be violently cut short in the parking lot of her own office by someone the police are convinced she knew. Join us as we discuss the murder of Margot Prade. No, Margot. Yeah, and she was gorgeous. Margot Schamberger, so Schamberger was her maiden name, was born on September 17th, 1956, in Akron, Ohio. She was the youngest of seven, which is like, that's a lot of kids. That's a lot of mouths to feed. And she had five sisters and one brother. Kristen forgot to do any research about the date today. So we don't have a Black History moment for you this episode. I promise I got you next time. One of Margot's sisters said the that Margot was a very happy baby. She loved to be spoiled by the whole family, especially her great-grandmother, who they called Big Mama. Mm. Sounds so familiar. Right? She said that if Margot couldn't get her way, she would bump her head <laughs> or okay. pinch or pinch Big Mama's hand. I'm like, what? That, that took a turn. A little sadist here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know- they're adorable. Yeah, she really is. And you know how kids are. You know, kids just do wild, crazy shit when they don't get their way. Mm. She went to Central Howard High School and she was a cheerleader. Kristen can relate. And she graduated as valedictorian. Period. She went on to pursue her bachelor's degree at Kent State University and was finishing medical school at Northeast Ohio University's College of Medicine. Holy shit. By 1983. (laughs) Like, this girl was on her shit. Yeah. She wasn't fucking around. 
July 1st of that same year, she started her three-year residency at Akron General Medical Center, specializing in family practice. Now, in between being an incredible, successful, focused, and driven, just badass black queen, Margot met a man named Douglas Prade, mm. a man she would later marry and have two little girls with. Mm. So from what I can surmise, I couldn't find a lot of background information on Douglas, but Douglas was born on March 15th, 1947, where I do not know, so don't ask me. But I do know that he became a police officer, and during his relationship with Margot, he became the first black police chief in Akron, Ohio. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Okay, Douglas. The Akron community spoke highly of both Margot and Doug, saying that they were very good at their jobs and seemed like they were like really in love. They just had that type of vibe where it's just like, oh, they must have the perfect home. But we all know things aren't always as they seem. Dun, dun, dun. Eventually, Margot opened her own medical practice, and this was in 1989, and um, like I mentioned in the intro, she grew it to around 7,000 patients, which is insane. That's a lot of patients. Does she have that's an a- entire hospital? <laughs> for No, for a private practice. Like, that's outstanding. That's huge. Yeah. So you can imagine how busy she was. I also want to mention that Margot joined a softball team, which is really cute. It was put together for women's police officers and officers' wives. And friends from the team said that they even, that even though Margot was asthmatic, Kristen can relate. Yeah, and she- business. <laughs> Damn. Can I tell my business? Thank you. Bitch, if I can relate with something, I'll say that I do. It's but- not yours to relate. It's mine. Fuck off. Your mom. Anyway. Yeah, I was about to say, bring her into this. Anyway, even though Margot was asthmatic and left-handed, she taught herself how to play softball with her right hand. Because wow. like lefty lefty gloves weren't that you know popping, which is that that's. Ch- but we already knew Margot's a baddie, badass bitch. Like She's you can't tell her anything. No. Doug stayed busy too, working as police chief, and it is said that his police force loved him. But in reality, Doug was a violent menace to his household. And I I wouldn't even say maybe it wasn't even his household because later. You know, you'll see probably why I say that, but he was definitely violent and horrible toward Margot. Doug was known to be verbally abusive toward Margot during their marriage. From what I know, the abuse became physical as well. Um, and we'll get to that later on in the episode. But Margot loved her two little girls so, so much and wanted them to have a stable life with like both parents, you know, in the home. So she suffered through the abuse for over 17 years. Until December of 1996, when she officially filed for divorce. Oh, what pisses me off is like, you'll have an amazing woman. And all because she met a man who just can't. He's so pissed that she's so amazing that he berates her. And then mm-hmm. she lets him. Mm-hmm. Out of mm-hmm. all the good sense she got, she lets this man berate her. You know, all because of you think you're, it's for the greater good. But, you know, no child should see their mother being beaten down or talked to so terribly because it's teaching them it teaches them that it's okay right doug was extremely upset about her decision and then went and when they went to visit a divorce attorney in january of 1997 all hell broke loose 
but we'll get to that later in the episode. Then don't tell us. I'm, I'm going to tell you now. So you know what's don't. good. Okay. Fast forward to November of 1997, Margot Prade would be found dead in the parking lot of her family practice. Yes. And she was only 41 at the time of her death. So oh. on the day of her, on the day of her murder, Wednesday, November 26th, 1997, Margot called her friend and colleague Joyce to let her know she would be arriving at work in a few minutes. And this is around 9 a.m. Joyce became concerned because an hour later, Margot was still not there. Another employee named Lori Collins went outside to check if Margot's van was there, and it was. It was in the parking lot. So they were like, okay, you know, maybe she's just on the phone, maybe something, whatever. Right. But when but when Lori approached the car, she could see that something was very, very wrong. She said she um she saw Margot slumped over with her head on her, the passenger seat. Her cell phone was in reach of her hand, so like she could reach it, you know, call police. Um, and her purse and everything else was still there. So Lori ran back inside and immediately called police. When police arrived at the scene and at the scene and did their initial comb over, they felt that this was not just a random act of violence and that Margot must have known her killer. They came to this conclusion after seeing that Margot was shot from the right side, meaning that she had to open the door for the person to be able to shoot her because okay. her, like her window wasn't down and it wasn't smashed. When Margot's ex-husband arrived on scene, he was inconsolable. He said he received a call from a colleague saying something happened to Margot, but that he didn't know that she was dead until he arrived on scene. Police decided that since the van was the crime scene, they were just going to remove the van and Margot's body from the parking lot and just take all of it back to the lab. Mm -hmm. When medical examiners were, were removing Margot's clothing to repair her, to prepare her for the autopsy, they said bullets just kept falling out of her clothing. What? Yeah. Yeah. One examiner said, she did an interview and she said that she had no idea that Margot was shot so many times and that a bullet even fell out of her bra when they were like taking it off. Damn. How many times right? was she shot? In total, Margot was shot six times with the 38 caliber pistol with one bullet going through her hand. So that kind of showed that she was trying to defend kind of, herself from yeah. her attacker. Examiners also found a bite mark on her arm. And the bite was so hard that it went through her lab coat, through the shirt she was wearing, and sunk into her arm. Which also suggests, <laughs> like, who fucking bites someone? It's disgusting. Like, and then you're biting that hard, like, you're really angry. Ah, yeah, ah, as you're shooting me? Like, right. What are you biting Ugh. me for? Just an asshole. You can tell. It's just like a controlling, like, to bite someone is just like, and I own you. I really feel like that's just kind of like a, a possessive type of action to do. You know, even in the act of shooting her, you have time to be up on her that close to bite her. To bite her. You know, like you're disgusting. Like you've always wanted to bite her and harm Ugh. her in that way. You, you know, weirdo. fucking freak. So this means this kind of suggested to police that she was fighting off her attacker, you know, as well. There was only half a bite mark, though, that was visible on her actual skin, meaning that the bottom teeth mark was clear, but only a portion of the top row remained, like, visible on her clothing and her skin, which will be important later. Okay. 
Police started looking in the area surrounding the parking lot to see if they could find any witnesses of or video surveillance that may have been that may have caught the murder. They found a car dealership with surveillance cameras facing the parking lot and the video police obtained showed Margot's minivan parked and shortly after another car like parking near hers. Then there's like movement next to her car that didn't catch what type of movement it was, but you can just see that there's movement over there. And then immediately after the car just drives away. So it took less than two minutes for the murder to happen and happened between 9, 10 a.m. and 9, 12 a.m. Question. In the video surveillance, did it show Margot opening the door a little bit? Like how we well, thought that she opened the door a bit? Well, I don't know if it was able to see that. I don't know which side that the angle came from, and mm-hmm. I wasn't able to find the actual footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Margot didn't have anybody in the car with her prior to ret- like showing up to work. So it had to be somebody, you know, came up on her and did this to her from outside of the car. Wow. So they were such of a punk that they literally <laughs> did a drive by on Margot. Well, we know that they, they got out of the car and was fighting with yeah, her and bit her. Because she was bit. Yeah. Basically a drive by. Okay. Okay. Because of the info they have about the bite mark, police start questioning everyone close to Margot and ask that they would provide a dental impression, which they agreed to. Even Douglas, who is the ex-husband and the obvious suspect, agreed to provide his dental impression. He also provided an alibi and said that he was at the gym at the time of the murder. Mm. To verify, he said there was a woman there that was, at, I guess, there at the same time. And she could tell police, like, yeah, he was here at this time. So they went and talked to the woman. She said, yeah, he was here. So the police were like, eh, okay, we're going to kind of, like, back off. Mm. Oh, and he also took a lie detector test. Dang. Which he passed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which convinced investigators even more that he was most likely innocent. So they decided to publicly exonerate him. Wow. Like, like it was on the news. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, first of all, I would have never done that because you don't have enough evidence yet. You didn't even Thank wait you. till those impressions came back. Well, that we know of. Um, but, Another thing is, is like, if you were the police officers, right? And mm-hmm. you have number one suspect passes a lie detector test, offering up all the evidence or whatever that you need to convict him or to exonerate him. How would you feel? Like, would you be like, oh, you know, he didn't do it. Like, look at him. He's being so helpful. He passed the lie detector test. Would you question it? Bitch, I question everything. Bitch, you question everything. <laughs> You know, you're not, you're not innocent and, well, you're not, for me, you're not innocent until proven so. You know what I'm saying? Especially with the Mm -hmm. spouse type of thing. You just have to keep your options open. Like, but I think because he was a police officer, police chief, you know, the people investigating were hella biased and like, he couldn't have done this. So it's fine. Right. And then they probably want to quickly like clear his name because he's literally Mm -hmm. representing the whole police department. Literally. So listen to a clip of Douglas while he's being interviewed shortly after. Police department's doing uh, an outstanding job. Uh, they're using uh, all of their resources to investigate this, including resources of the federal government. So I feel very confident that they'll reach a, uh, a uh, resolution in this situation. So- in this situation. Bitch, your freaking wife died. Your freaking right? wife was murdered. This situation. 
Like you like, good? You don't seem like you have a lot of like care or remorse. Give a fuck. It doesn't even seem like he cried. <laughs> it doesn't even seem like he was phased at all. But he kind of gives off that like really creepy vibe, you know, to Fast. where it's like, oh, I can be very calm, but then like hair trigger of a second, I can spaz out on you. And I always look at a person's eyes and when eyes are like this, like wired, it makes me feel, <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm I can't a trust suspect. You. <laughs> I can't trust you if your eyes are like this all the time. That's just too much. <laughs> I feel like your eyes are trying to hide the lies. <laughs> right. By like keeping them open. Don't squint. Like, Gross. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So hundreds of people showed up for Margot's funeral. The community truly, truly loved her and were putting a lot of pressure on authorities to find her killer. Period. And fast. So much so that the FBI got involved with the investigation, which it's like, duh, a police chief is a prime suspect in a murder. Do you really think <laughs> that there should not be like that case in their hands? Who's, who's doing the checks and balances here? That's my question. <laughs> So I'm glad they involved the FBI. Mm -hmm. On December 3rd, 1997, investigators received an anonymous letter that named two people as the killers. Those names were Adele and Baxter Sullivan. Adele and Margot were friends, and she'd actually introduced Margot to the new man Margot was Mm -hmm. seeing. He was an attorney named Tim Holston. Like, get it, Margot. Get it. When Adele was brought in for questioning, she agreed, as well as her husband, to provide a bite impression. They were soon ruled out, which made police feel like they were being kind of toyed with, and the actual killer was just trying to, like, throw them off the scent. Off the scent, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So police moved on with the investigation and started to search Margot's home. When they searched her home, they found a cassette tape in her garage. And when they asked Doug about the tape, he said it was Margot's, and she liked to record her phone calls because she had patients calling her all day. But after listening to the tapes, police got a different impression. The first call they heard was between Margot and her friend Joyce talking about one of Doug's colleagues, a woman named Carla Smith. And on the call, you can hear Margot say, quote, she disgusts me. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) With Joyce replying in agreement. (laughs) That's real. So apparently there was a rumor going around that Doug and Carla were having an affair mm. and that Carla mm. might have been, have even given birth to Doug's child. No. Mm-hmm. 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 That's mm-hmm. deep. And she was the same colleague that called him to let him know something had happened to Margot. Shut up. Kristen, I can't. Ew, I shot. Mind your business. I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say she was the same colleague that was at the gym that gave him an alibi. I was gonna say, bitch, pull her up, walk her like a dog, walk her like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Investigators interviewed Carla, and despite finding some of Doug's financial records at her house, she was ruled out. She said she was at work at the time of the murder and they were able to confirm it, I guess, mm-hmm. which is like, bitch, somebody could be covering for you. I'm not even, I'm not taking that. So, so investigators moved on and put their attention back to Doug. Okay. So even though they had exonerated Doug at that point, they're still like publicly. keeping an eye. Mm-hmm. Right. Publicly. They're still keeping an eye on Doug. Good. Um, And then he said that 
those tapes, Margot would actually tape herself um, having conversations with her patients. But this time, Margot was talking to her friend. Why would Margot right. tape a conversation she had with her friend? Right. Maybe right. she did, right. but why? Especially if she's talking shit about Doug. <laughs> Quote unquote. Maybe she forgot that the recorder was on. Right. That's Yeah. I'm like, maybe it was just normal habit for mm-hmm. her to just turn it on. Mm-hmm. Maybe Either not. way, we're going to get there. So I don't know exactly when this happened, but the FBI and Doug apparently received more letters implicating someone else as Margot's killer. This letter implicated a woman named Delphinia Gilbert, a close acquaintance of Margot. Listen to her describe what those letters said. Someone had written letters to the FBI and also to Doug Prade implicating me in this murder, saying that I was someone that knew Dr. Prade. I pretended to be her friend, but I hated her. Mm. Mm -mm. Who is selling out in these letters? Right? It's just and the then weirdest thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, even in the clip, Delphinia is looking like, bitch, like, who the fuck pulled this out of nowhere? Like, how did I get involved in this? You know? Like, it's just, yeah. You can really tell somebody's reaching. Somebody's getting nervous. You know, somebody's about to be arrested soon. <clears throat> Flyers then started being placed all around town on people's cars and in businesses saying that Delphinia had already been arrested for the murder of Margot. Kayla, stop. Somebody ran a campaign. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously because everybody's running their damn mouth and probably thinking that Delphina did it, Delphina and her, Delphinia and her husband then felt they had to defend themselves and started taking a stand, talking to the press and just, doing whatever they can to get ruled out. And eventually they were ruled out. I mean, duh. If somebody's literally campaigning a slur campaign against you so that people will focus on you and it has nothing to do with the actual investigation, like somebody's literally trying to set her up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So she had to take matters into her own hands. What was she supposed to do? Sit back and watch? That's what I'm saying. Like if I'm guilty, even if I'm guilty, bitch, I'm going to get in front of this. <laughs> but if I'm, but if I'm innocent, I'm definitely going to be pissed the hell off in that, you know, sheriff's office, whatever. Like, what do you need for me to clear me? Cause I'm sick of this. Right. Probably fuck with their money, their jobs, all that type of A stuff. A lot. Her reputation, like exactly. the whole studios. Just disgusting. Now police really only had the bite mark to go on and were waiting for a man named Dr. Levine. Maybe to finish his assessment of the bite mark and the bite mark impressions. This is what he said. He said he could eliminate all of the bite impressions that were provided to him, except that of Douglas prayed, meaning that everyone that present provided a sample was cleared, except Douglas. He found that the bottom teeth in Douglas's mouth matched the bottom teeth Marks found on Margot's lab coat in her arm. Period. So it's pretty not looking good for you, Douglas. So it's back to Doug. Back to Doug, the scrub. <laughs> now, now police feel like they have- I like that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Doug, the scrub. Doug, the fucking scrub. <laughs> 
Now police feel like they have a solid place to start and start digging into Douglas and Margot's past a little more. They found a bank deposit slip from October of 1997, which was a month before the murder, with Doug's handwriting on it. And we'll get to that a little bit later. I hate when you do this. We'll get to well, that. Just tell us. No, I can't. So be fucking patient. Ugh. They were able to confirm that Doug had taken out a life insurance policy on Margot for $75,000. Police felt that after the divorce, Douglas was like financially strapped and needed to find some way to get money and that he may have resorted to killing his wife for it. Makes a lot of sense to me. Wow. Police also found a tape of a man who would later be identified as Douglas saying, testing one, two, three. And then they heard a very tense phone call between Margot and Doug about picking up their children. So from the conversation, police could already tell that Douglas had been lying to everyone about him being in a good relationship with Margot even after their divorce. Because the conversation was like very heated and just not good. And a premeditated is what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah. <gasps> oh, yeah. And another call, Margot can can be heard speaking with her mother and saying that, quote, I think he's ta- tapping the phones, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> That's when police realized that it wasn't Margot that was recording her phone calls. It was Doug. And Doug the, the scrub. Doug the scrub. And that the cassette tape they found in the garage belonged to Doug as well. Wow. So it's all coming together. A witness also came forward and said that he saw who killed Margot that morning. He said he was at her office the day of the murder, waiting for his ride at 9, 10 a.m. Remember, she was killed between 9, 10 and 9, 12. He said that he was standing there when he saw the man that killed her drive right past him. He later picked Douglas Prayed out of a lineup. <laughs> And then he said he didn't come forward earlier because he knew he was a police officer and he was afraid. Now you can take this as you can take this however you want because Douglas's face has been plastered all over the news already, you know, when they publicly exonerated him. So this person could just be trying to get some camera time or like whatever the case may be, you know, but there was a witness that claims that they saw Douglas and picked him out of a lineup. And literally like, the only way you would sit here and say, oh, he's just trying to have some clout is because he appeared after everything had gone on. He should have reared his ugly head. Thank you for wearing it finally. But he should have mm-hmm. spoke up in the beginning and said, well, oh, my God, this is what I saw as soon as they found out Margot had been murdered. Right. But he didn't. But it's OK because his witness, I mean, his statement matches with the bite impressions. Yeah, it, cl- it shows that he was probably there and he could have probably, you know, bit her. Mm hmm. And another piece of, you know, evidence that the police were looking for is a way to kind of debunk his alibi. And they found it because remember the woman Mm -hmm. that police interviewed at the gym? Well, they interviewed her again. And this time she didn't really actually recall the time that Doug made it to the gym that day. So he could have made it to the gym after he'd already killed his wife. It took him two minutes. Right. So... So with all this evidence, it just basically sealed the deal for him. And on February 23rd, 1998, Douglas was arrested and charged with the murder of his ex-wife. Woo, child. So like, here's insane. where it gets hairy. 
Doug's trial started in September 1998, and he naturally pleaded not guilty. During the 12 days of trial, the prosecution and defense called 52 witnesses to the stand and presented 243 pieces of evidence for the jury to examine. Yeah, during the, their, their like, deliberations. When the heck did all of this happen? I'm like, what are all these pieces? It's probably a lot of the tapes. Probably, you know, character witnesses, people that have known them from 17 years back, all that type of stuff. A mailman that caught an argument. (laughs) They'll they'll have anybody on that stand. Mm. Prosecutors were convinced that the motive for Margot's death was as old as all time money. Mm-hmm. Doug was struggling really hard after losing his cash cow because let's be real, our girl was making money, period. She was a baddie. And yeah, so they were like, he probably killed her because he wants her money. Which is <laughs> and the so life insurance. Trifling. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of men, you know, that's why that's why they say you should kind of watch it. Like if you're a woman in a relationship that makes m- the money, it kind of can demasculinate your man. Or, you know, your significant other or whatever. So they kind of try to tell people to navigate relationships like that carefully because you don't want to, like, make a man's ego feel bruised because he may try to fucking kill you, you know, which is just the most disgusting warning ever. Just so disgusting. Like, I think it should be more of a warning to the man that maybe you should get your stuff together. Bitch, go make some money, home. you know, and, and get your confidence together. So when you meet a woman who's doing more than you, you celebrate her instead of sitting there and being Trying jealous to, of her. Exactly. And my next thing is like to have a relationship with someone for 17 years. Yeah, it was tumultuous or whatever, but to get to the point where the person you loved that you had kids with mm-hmm. literally like kills you. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like, is there any moment where you feel like this man is going to snap? You know, yeah. like, did she have that moment? I mean, she, she definitely was afraid. Like, she was, f- like, scared for her fucking life. And we'll get more into that later. But she was definitely aware that there was something for her to be uncomfortable about or fearful about in regards to her ex-husband. I feel like she was in the worst situation. Because really literally the devil that she knows is Doug. Mm-hmm. Is the police chief and the angel in everybody else's eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, it's just the worst situation to be in. The defense, on the other hand, wanted to focus on the fact that one, no witnesses actually claimed to see Margot's murder on that day. And two, none of the 243 pieces of evidence presented included the murder weapon. Mm. So, you know, lo- people love to be like, oh, you can't find the murder rap weapon? That means they didn't do it. Like, mm-hmm. no, bitch. You can melt shit down. Easily melt a gun down. We and found everything else. Like, Kristen, honestly, it's probably somewhere in an evidence locker. Period. In another case's, like, box. Period. It wasn't even, it probably wasn't even his to begin with. He probably <laughs> snuck that bitch out and snuck that bitch right back in. Yep. Oh, my gosh. This is so sick. Details of Margot and Doug's tumultuous relationship came out in court, starting with how Doug had been tapping Margot's phone for at least the past year before her, you know, death. And that even though they were considered divorced, they weren't legally divorced because he refused to sign any paperwork. Ooh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if he signed the paperwork, it would have prevented him from collecting the the life life insurance insurance policy. 
So once again, giving premeditated. Very much. <laughs> I'm just going to start with Douglas's testimony so we can hear from, you know, the oh, horseless headman. What's that thing? Headless horseman. Headless horseman. Am I saying that wrong? I don't think you are. I think you're saying so we can hear from the horse's mouth. Yeah, but like the headless horse's mouth because he's a fucking dickhead. Mm. I hate him. Anyway, <laughs> okay. that didn't come out good, but rough. you get what the okay. fuck I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so according to Doug, on the stand, he and Margot barely saw each other after she opened her medical practice in 1989 because he was working nights and she was working during the day. He said divorce was first discussed in 1991 and it was brought up by Margot, but that the couple decided to try marriage counseling to see if it could work. When they were unable to reconnect in that like romantic married people couple way, he said that they thought about divorce again. He said, quote, in 1994, I was resigned to the fact there was going to be a divorce, end quote. Mm. So they were planning it for a while, clearly. He said they still remained amicable for the next couple years and that even after their divorce in 1997, they remained friends and talked often. Bullshit. But you're tapping her phone. But you're tapping. Bullshit. That you guys talked often because you needed to figure out who was going to pick up the kids. Like, don't get it twisted, ho. And who was going to pay the mortgage on the house. (laughs) Not him. They weren't talking about that. Broke ass. Clearly not him. (laughs) Oh, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Were they, when they divorced, were they living in two different homes at this time or were they still in the same house? They were still in the same house. Hot mess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. But the prosecutors, Michael Carroll and Allison McCarty, presented 44 witnesses that contradicted Doug's claims. And in a nutshell, this is what those witnesses said. So in the fall of 1994, Douglas was convinced that Margot was going to file for divorce. So he decided to buy a special voice activated tape recorder and began secretly taping her phone calls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was from like just the home. It wasn't cell phones. I don't think back then anyway. So he mm-hmm. was taping, you know, the calls made from that home, mm-hmm. which by the way is completely illegal and it's considered electronically stalking someone. Ooh. So if you guys are out there doing this type of stuff, you could get caught, bitch. And like, you're totally, like, electrically peeping tomming. <laughs> Cut it out. It's a complete invasion of privacy. Like, you're weird. <laughs> like, at this point, bitch, I'm looking at you. Like, I'm looking at you hella sideways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, where were we? Fucking hell. Okay, there we go. Douglas then began to act really possessive over Margot and jealous. In 1996... Margo changed her diet and started working out. She wanted to lose weight. Amazing. I mean, she's so beautiful. Like, I really think she's just so beautiful. And her soul, like, beams, you know, from the inside out. So, you know, do whatever makes you happy, Margo, girl. Period. So she started losing weight. And she just wanted to, like, improve on how, you know, she was looking. But Doug was not having it. Like, at all. Even though he had been dating Carla Smith for three years at that point. So <laughs> it wasn't even a secret affair. Like it was a thing. Like Margo was aware about, and you're worried about what old girl is doing over here. What Margo's doing? Fine, you're you doing some all, business. You the thing is, he has business. Like he's he has a whole nother beach, and you want to sit over here and tell me what I can do? 
No. He loved that woman. Like, I know that sucks to say that someone literally, you killed her. How could you love her? But, like, he he probably loved her to, like, a sick obsession of love. Kristen, that's not love. What the no, fuck are I'm, you No, I know about? it's not love, but I'm just saying, like, so I won't say love. It's more like a sick obsession. Like, I feel it like he had a be. sick obsession with her. I know that that type of love is not love. I'm sorry, y'all. It's just hard to, like, identify the words to say. But... I feel like he had a sick ass obsession with her because if she's trying to move on and you're trying to hold her back and continue to like have your arms around her and watch what she's doing, like that's controlling, that's abusive, that's that manipulative, that's everything obsessive. negative. Yeah, that's not love for no. the record. <laughs> Lord, you should see my face, y'all. I'm looking at Chris and like, bitch, I'll come to this screen. Like, don't you fucking that? Like, I know we all like it's not love. Okay, just it's not. <laughs> It's just not. I'm going to Forrest Gump you, but I know what love is. Uh, oh, Forrest. Okay. Okay. Back to something else sad. So even though he was dating Carla for three years and Margot knew about it, he was terribly abusive to Margot once she started dating Akron firefighter Al Strong. Mm. Doug would apparently call Margot, quote, a fat bitch, end quote, while making other threats to her like, quote, I can do... I can do away with you and nobody will know. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then he says stuff like, I've got something for your ass. And they're what? supposed to be hotel divorced. <laughs> this is before the divorce. This is still in 1994. Or okay. I mean, 1996. Okay. Wow. Yeah. This is the year before, like, this is the year that she files divorce. Wow. One so of- they're more like separated open relationship type thing because he's doing his thing she knows yeah. about it she's doing hers and they're still living together right one of margot's sisters testified there was also physical abuse involved and that one time margot told her that doug had put his hands around her neck and choked her mm. doug abused his power as a police chief and used their system to find al's license plate number and began to harass him as well yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is around the time that Margot started becoming more vocal about how how she feared for her life. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in court, tapes that Douglas had recorded of her talking about this were used against him. That's exactly <laughs> what he gets. You peeping Tom asshole. You fucking weirdo. Douglas Grove. After dealing with the harassment and abuse, Margot finally decided to file for a divorce on December 31st, 1996. So remember that meeting the, with the divorce lawyer that I mentioned earlier? Mm-hmm. Well, the lawyer named Annalisa, her name's Annalisa Stubbs Williams, a.k.a. Annalise Keating, testified that they were supposed to be there to discuss a separation agreement meant to turn the contested divorce into a dissolution, which means that they would be dissolving the marriage instead, which is quicker and less expensive. Okay. But apparently Doug wasn't having that and started going the fuck off. In front of the lawyer, he accused Margot of, quote, behaving like a slut and, quote, whoring around. He even threatened to have her declared as an unfit mother and to take full custody of the girls. He also said he was going to take um the deed or, or the home that they had. And he said he was going to put her on spousal support. <laughs> like 
the ultimate that, disrespect. Isn't just that slanging out? Disrespect. Isn't that so much like a disgusting loser of a man? Like a yes. man that's like, I have, I literally have nothing to, he has fucking nothing to offer. And now he just wants to take away everything for, from someone that worked hella hard for what they have. All because what? You're a hating ass. Yep. Girl, like. It sounds like <laughs> what old girl is dealing with from her baby daddy. Oh, your friend? Yeah. Yeah. This hits home. <laughs> During the divorce proceedings, he refused to sign any paperwork, like I mentioned before, and didn't even show up for the final hearing. He also refused to move out of the family home and didn't even mention to anyone that the divorce even happened. Like, he's just really in a fucking Looney Tune universe. I hate him. After he finally left in June 1997... After Margot's divorce attorney sent a letter threatening legal action, period, he moved, in, he moved into an apartment in Copley Township, wherever the fuck that is, where his obsession with and hatred for Margot intensified. Mm -hmm. Margot tried to change the locks and install a security system, but Douglas got a key and security code from his oldest daughter. Now, <sighs> that's where I really no, That's where I really was like hitting a wall of anger. Because I'm like, I'm, bitch, I'm pissed off at you. As a child, I'm pissed off at you. Like, you see that your parents are not on good terms. You see that this is not okay. You know that your dad has moved out. You know that your mom has a new system and key specifically for this situation. And that you give it to him anyway. Like, he may love you, but he's damn sure not doing right by your mom. You know, and I know kids shouldn't be in, in the middle of stuff like that. But this is, this is a safety issue. You know what I'm saying? Part of me also feels like Margot didn't explain everything yeah, that she yeah. needed to explain to them kids. I agree. Um, And then he probably used that to his advantage. He's clearly manipulative. So he probably made it seem like it was a dire need that he needed to get back in that house. I know. But it's like, you know, you just have to like. <sighs> but this is just a lesson. Like if you're going yeah. through some stuff in the house and your kids are old enough to know. Tell them. Yeah. Like you're not saving anybody by mm -hmm. not letting your kids know what's going on. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, I'm mad. He, uh, Chris, I told you. I told you. It was going to get to you. He would mm -hmm. regularly go to the house, open Margot's mail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eat her fucking food and just oh! like hang out. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're throwing hands. The food part, the food part, I'm going to jail. Open my mail. Okay. Felony. Open my fridge. <laughs> Death sentence. Where's my gun? <laughs> Where's my gun? Where's my gun? Ass. Did Margo even have a weapon? No. Didn't, no. Oh, no. Margo. No. Margo. That's what I'm saying. It, it's sometimes it's such a disadvantage to have such a pure heart Ugh. because when you're dealing with people that are fucking wicked as hell, you just, you're just kind of like, you know, like you have to have wisdom too. You can be yeah. pure hearted, but have wisdom on yeah. what's actually going on out there. <sighs> but it's hard to think that someone that you spent so that much part. time in your life would take your fucking life. You know, that part. He would go to Margot's job and watch her from across the street. Yeah. He'd be parked in an unmarked police car. So just even more fucking sketchy, abusive power, abusive all of that power, for sure. Plot. He, he even had keys to her office and would go there while he would be like working in the night shift. One day he followed her to Akron General Medical Center and confronted her in the doctor's lounge, like in front of people. 
and like made a whole scene. He's just like, he's just really sick. So let's talk about the root of all evil. Money, baby. Mm. And how Douglas had absolutely none. <laughs> so being that he can't live off of Margot, who is apparently making $140,000 a year. That's my girl. I was going to say that's my baby. <laughs> when he moved out, he had to pay his own bills, including $660 in rent plus <laughs> six. <laughs> and that's a joke. <laughs> he was living in a closet. Literally. <laughs> well, it's 1997, so who the fuck right, knows? Right. Plus $600 in child support. Which we know he wasn't paying. He probably wasn't paying that. From August to November 1997, he was, char- he was charged $340 in overdraft fees. And on no, broke. <laughs> and on November 15th, 1997, approximately a week before Margot's murder, the balance in his checking account was negative five hundred dollars. What? Okay, so how much is he getting paid? And Kristen, that's what, what I'm he saying. With his money. That's what I'm saying. He must be getting paid in like, uh, fucking, uh, uh, c- coins, tokens. I'm like, like, he must be getting paid in stocks and bonds because <laughs> ain't no real money coming to his accounts. Nothing. I'm like, was there a direct deposit back then, or maybe he was just like given a check and he was like spending his money on. Probably Carla Smith and their fucking baby. Like, who like, knows? You're disgusting. So you mean to tell me that whole time your woman has been taking care of you and y'all's kids and you had a whole job, had a whole job, had a whole side hoe, and then had the nerve to berate the woman who's taking care of you? Where is the gun? I need <laughs> to put my hands on somebody. Like, what are we even talking about? Kristen, we don't condone murder, but we also... Need to Don't. put our hands on people. Like, yeah, some people need to learn a lesson. Obviously, we're venting, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Okay, it was sometime in October 1997 when prosecutors believe Doug started fantasizing about Margot's death. The bank slip they found, remember that bank slip that I mentioned earlier? It was dated October 8th, 1997, about a month and a half before the mur- the murder, and it had a list on the back with all of Doug's debts added up together. He then subtracted all of those debts from $75,000. Let me guess, that was the life insurance policy amount. Good eye, Pooh, you paying attention. So that's just, if I don't know, if if, if that's not the most obvious fucking, <laughs> yeah, he fucking did it. And I don't even know what it is. Yeah, it's he's been planning it for a while. In the days before the murder, Margot had just returned from a four day trip to Las Vegas, and she was really, really upset when she learned that while she was gone, Douglas stayed at her house with her children and slept in her bed. Ooh. Oh, I will be Kristen. If this was me in this situation, somebody would be talking about me on a true crime podcast and saying that I was sentenced to life in prison. I'm telling you, talking about we don't condone de- killing. Of course we don't, but you got to do what you got to <laughs> do sometimes. Like, that's like, what are we talking about? Like, literally, this man was in my bed. Right. And then it just makes me feel like how it probably takes all that she has in her to not feel like utter crap. The fact yeah. that she has kids by a psychomaniac. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
she chose to be married to this psycho person for 17 years. That that takes a toll on you. Yeah, especially when you don't even really know that they could be this psychopathic. You know, some people really have like mental health decline as time goes on. Yeah. So who fucking knows that this was just, you know, their relationship was always this difficult or horrible, you know? Yeah. Margo considered filing a legal action to increase his child support and take away the joint custody agreement, which basically allowed Doug to see the girls whenever he wanted, which is clearly mm-hmm. a fucking issue because he doesn't respect boundaries. No. Sleeping she spoke in with her bed. This is come on. Like you're asking to be popped. She spoke with her divorce attorney, but after speaking with a friend, she decided to try to work things out with Doug to at least try to come to an agreement outside of court. Because oh once again, Margo is a top-notch bitch and is doing everything she can going above and beyond to just make it work. Yeah. She told that same friend that she arranged to meet with him on Tuesday, November 25th, which is the day before she died. So from what we know, they did meet up mm-hmm. and it didn't go well because obviously Margot was murdered the next day and when she was murdered police found a check in her purse made out to her divorce attorney for $75 and that was the fee amount to file the court custody action that she was wow so she went there to talk to him about Mm -hmm. so obviously the conversation she didn't get the answer that she wanted so she was gonna go ahead with it Mm -hmm. and he probably was aware of that so the timing is a coincidence I think not I don't think so Now we get to the bread and butter of the case, the physical evidence. So the prosecution had a forensic dentist testify that he was sure Doug was responsible for the bite mark left on Margot, while a defense expert said that there was no way to be sure that Doug made the mark. But he did admit that the teeth marks were consistent with the teeth that Doug had in his mouth. Well, then that's the way to be sure. Or at least 90%. (laughs) It's consistent. So it's, you know... Right, and that's it's not the possible. only piece of evidence. We have a this witness is, as well. Right, right. We don't have a lot of physical evidence, but this is what they're like basically banking this on. Mm. Richard Suveron, a forensic dentist in Coral Gables, Florida, who was actually used to analyze the bite marks involved in the Ted Bundy cases in 1979, he testified that he took real issues saying for sure that the bite mark came from Doug. He said, quote, you cannot make a positive match between a bite mark and a suspect to the exclusion of everyone in the world. It just can't be done. And if you go through two layers of clothing, you're going to have m- much less detail, end quote. Mm. He also said, quote, with a bite mark, you can literally take a tracing or a model of teeth and a jury can sit there and put them together and say, yeah, I see. It's very, very powerful and very scary if you're wrong. So... Yeah, okay. basically, like, <laughs> basically, it's a little bit of a junk science. You shouldn't use it to determine if someone should spend the rest of their life in jail or not. Right. Like that cannot be your only piece of physical right. evidence. Right. Another defense expert said that it was nearly impossible for Doug to have left the mark because Doug has dentures and mm. that the set of dentures that Doug had in his mouth were too loose for him to create a full bite mark. They even tried to test it out. Kristen, you have to see this fucking video. If you're on, 
if you're on Patreon, if you're on Patreon, if you have all <laughs> full access, the all access level, you're, you're going to see this. And I may still post it on Instagram because <laughs> it changed my life. <laughs> I know it's foolishness. Let me watch this. Uh-uh. <laughs> Why did they rip that man's teeth out like that? <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, but if somebody snatched my dentures out of my mouth like that, they would probably come out too. That man ripped his dentures out of his mouth. I guess he was trying to simulate like if you're biting someone and they go to like rip away from you because you're biting them, you know? But but that doesn't mean the initial bite isn't hard. Right. You well, can it, bite well, somebody and then when they snatch away, maybe that took out your dentures, but. But that's, but no, what they're saying is it was too loose to give a, like the, he didn't have enough power, like to grip his denture and then grip her arm. Like there wasn't like enough power, you know, that's why they were saying that it was loose in that way. Mm-hmm. But the prosecution was like, hold up, hold up. This is actually helping us because that's why there's only half a bite mark available. That was left on the lab coat and on Margot's skin because the person that left the bite mark, aka the killer, didn't have enough power or grip to leave a full indentation. So literally, the defense made the point for prosecution, like happenstancedly. I don't know who the fuck didn't catch that. (laughs) I don't know who didn't catch that. But yeah, so... After 12 days of trial, the jury only deliberated for six hours before they found Douglas prayed guilty of all charges, including one of aggravated, aggravated murder and six of wiretapping and then one for possession of criminal tools. Which this I don't know is what the that first was about. time I'm going to applaud the jury. I mean, in the <laughs> sense of like, well, this is one of the first times I'm going to applaud a jury in, um, taking i just have encouraged to actually convict a police chief you know what i'm saying uh, like uh. i feel like you don't hear that often and it sucks that this dude is a black man but at the same yeah. time like he freaking did it right so i believe I'm that he proud. did it i believe i believe he did, he did it. it so i'm gonna read um a letter that was written in 1999 by one of margot's sisters and it's a letter basically written to Margot herself. Like she's writing it to Margot. And I'm going to read this because, yes, we talk about horrible things on the podcast, like the worst days of people's lives. But it's easy to lose sight of the fact that this is like real shit, you know, and this letter kind of just like puts it in perspective. Dear Margot, it's been so hard since you left us two years now, but it seems like a lifetime. Missing you is a natural thing, but losing you in such a terrible way hurt me to my soul. No one came to me to tell me what happened to you. When I found out, I just wanted to be with you and hold you and rock you like when you were a little baby. I have felt so much guilt. I know you were afraid, scared, and I felt I should have been there to protect you because you were the baby. In recent days, I've been seeing a lot of news coverage about Douglas and how he's spending a lot of money for his defense, but still fighting mom not wanting to pay child support for his children. By the way, mom is doing a good job with your babies. They are getting so big. You would be so proud. I miss your giggles and the little presents you bought, you brought to me. Reminders of you everywhere. I'm still fighting for you because it's not over. 
My understanding of the law is if you are with someone when they commit a crime and do not report them, you are just as guilty as the person who committed the crime. So why is the other person free? If the tables were turned and I was in the car, I'd be in jail. Most who worked on your case got a promotion, quit, retired, moved on. The person who helped the family the most, in my opinion, was homicide detective Rod Smith. But instead of getting any praise for a job well done, he is now working traffic. Is that a promotion? Question mark. I wish I could dream about you. I need some answers. On August 16th, 1999, I went to your house to clean up the motor home. Margot, I found 38 caliber bullets, a gun handle, a gun clip with small caliber bullets, and I also found a shirt wrapped in a pair of men's jockey underwear that had blood down the front. Please tell me what I, yeah, please tell me what I already know. Was it your blood? My poor baby sister? I need to know. And why, after all this time, did the police finally take this motor home? I guess I'm writing this letter because I need help. Anyone reading this letter, pray for us. Write somebody, tell somebody, enough with somebody saying, don't worry, be patient. All of our lives are changed. No family dinner this year. Thanksgiving will never be the same. I just keep carrying the memory of you around. No more pulling names for Christmas. A while back, I was helping your daughter straighten her room up and my daughter said, quote, Aunt Margo is going to like this when she gets back, end quote. She knows God, God's promise that we will be together again. Missing you, your big sister, VD. Isn't that, isn't that like, and to know, because when I read that, it made me think back to, okay, remember when they got the surveillance footage and they said that there was movement next to her car and then all of a sudden that other car just drove away? That probably means that there was a getaway driver, which was probably Carla. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have totally been she was a police officer. Her police chief, I'm sure, could change it to make it seem like she was at work when she wasn't. So and then even to find the evidence that she found as far as the gun clips, the gun bullets, you know, the the bloody shirt. Like, like oh my hell god. What were the police doing? Oh and were my you gosh. saying a motor home or a mobile home? I think it motor home, mobile home is the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So she found the smoking freaking gun, her own sister. She didn't find a gun. She didn't find a gun. She She just found like the bullets. She found a yeah gun clip. Mm -hmm. Her own sister. Yeah. I mean, that's just before the police. A full like what two years after she died. That's horrible. So horrible. Rest in peace, Margo. The people. Yeah. Rest in peace, Margo. What's with the freaking homicide detective who helped the case being on traffic now? Like, yeah. Why are you persecuting him for doing a good job? Because they, he actively went after a killer that was one of them. You know how cops are. They don't like to come after themselves. Half the time during the, that's why they had to bring in the FBI because they're like, these people aren't going to do fucking right by this shit. And then he that's gets punished. To, that's why we need to have more police, um, regulation and all that stuff in Absolutely. the first place. Absolutely. I'm thinking it's a frat. It's not a freaking frat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like you guys, people's lives are at, at risk. Yeah are you talking about wrong is wrong so fast forward to 2003 the ohio innocence project gets a whiff of doug's case and decides to help him out they petitioned that he deserved a new trial based on the fact that they'd gotten the male dna surrounding the bite mark tested and the results came back that the dna did not belong to doug prayed 
which didn't really work too much with the prosecution because they argued that the DNA could have gotten on her coat before or after she was killed. And when other parts of the lab coat was tested, there was no other male DNA that was found. But in January 2013, after spending 15 years in prison, Douglas Prade was released pending a new trial. Judge Judy Hunter ruled that the remaining evidence in the case would not be enough to convict Prade of murder. And she also said that it was, quote, tenuous at best. That fucking bitch. And she said that the accuracy of two of the two witness testimonies was questionable and testimony about the Prade's divorce, quote, is entirely circumstantial and insufficient by itself. Well, clearly it's not by itself, you dummy. It's with all you this other stupid stuff, too. Bitch. Like, I, I, I could, that's a person that I probably either want to smack, like backhand, or like spit in her face. Honestly, because all these people are telling you what was going on, <laughs> like giving you straight up evidence that, you know, the divorce was very, very terrible and that he was really like impeding on her fucking civil rights and doing hella illegal shit, like opening her mail you know, tapping her shit and you want to say that it's just circumstantial and insufficient. Douglas was greeted by his sister when he was first released and said he was, quote, just a jumble of emotions. He talked about how how he stayed busy in prison by reading 500 books, writing his thoughts in a journal and exercising. He also said that he wants to work with the Ohio Innocence Project. So listen to what he had to say about that. Well, if if my sister decides to move to Texas with my other siblings, then that's where I'll be. And uh, I'm going to work for the Innocence Project. I've already told them I'm committed to work for them, to to help them, to use uh, what 30 years of experience I've had as a police officer and 15 years of experience I've had as a wrongly convicted person to help uh, help them work on other people's cases. Like, fuck off, sir. Oh, no. Like, nothing. I understand. Out of your mouth. I give a fuck about. Wrongful convictions happen. I get it. But in this instance, nah. I don't think. Even if he didn't kill her, he deserved to spend some time in jail for just how he berated her and dealt Mm -hmm. with her and Mm -hmm. taunted her for all those years. even just like with the wiretapping, six counts of that, like he, he would have got that regardless. Right. He would have spent know? 15 years in there regardless. <laughs> he then said he planned to eat anything that hadn't been cooked in a prison. Like no shit. Oh God. He makes my skin crawl. We don't care about his personality. No, we don't wants. care about his wants and needs. Right. <laughs> but he did say he would spend time with his family, including his new six grandchildren that he's never met. Whatever. So he's it's, thinking of like going back to his daughters that he had with oh, Margo and like talking to them. Chris, and they've had his back this whole time. <laughs> oh yeah. They think, You're oh yeah. Lying. Chris and his entire family, his entire family. I was literally, it was the next sentence. His entire family is on his side. They couldn't even imagine him doing something like that. The daughters can't even imagine their dad doing something like that. They even made a, a Facebook page ca- talking about free Doug prayed. And I think it's actually run by one of his daughters. It is. The and it has like pictures of him raised by Margo's mom. By Mar- Yeah. By Margo's mom. Absolutely. Yep. They um, post pictures of their kids with him when they he got released. 
you know, just all that shit. There's a difference in forgiving someone for their wrongs, but thinking that they didn't do it at all. Well, as a kid, you know, they, they clearly were on his side for a lot of, of their childhood, even giving him the key and access to the house that he no longer was supposed to be living in. You know, like mom and dad had issues. And if mom was actively changing a lock, do you fucking think that I'm going to go and give dad the, absolutely not. Doesn't mean I don't love him, but me, it means I'm respecting the boundary that my mom is setting for herself. And even though I was a daddy's girl back then, I wouldn't have done it just because I'm like, mom's mom, like she's taking care of us. Love Mm -hmm. you to death, but you need to work that out with her. I don't pay no bills here to give you no damn key. To be giving you no access to nothing. You don't pay no bills here. So why should you have access here? I'm a guest. And so are you at this point. And you're not not a guest. He's a next. (laughs) He should not be here. Bye. Next. You're out. Fucking asshole. But by March 2014, Douglas would be behind bars again. Why? I'm annoyed. <laughs> I'm happy. The judge granted his release. The judge that granted his release retired, and the new judge, Judge Christine Cross, decided to put him back in jail after the Ohio Ninth District Court of Appeals reversed Judge Judy's decision. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The appellate court said that Judge Judy had abused her discretion. Period. Appellate Judge Beth Whitmore said, quote, given the enormity of the evidence in support of Parade's guilt and the fact that the meaningfulness of the DNA exclusion result is far from clear, this court cannot conclude that Parade set forth clear, convincing evidence of actual innocence, end quote. And in regards to the male DNA found near the bite mark and the lack of Doug's DNA being found, the following was said, quote, having conducted a thorough review of the DNA results and the testimony interpreting those results, this court cannot say with any degree of confidence that some of the DNA from the bite mark section belongs to Margot killer, Margot's killer. Likewise, we cannot say with absolute certainty that it does not. So at the end of the day, they're like, bitch, we don't know. So we're not even going to use that. Like, just throw that shit out of there. You know, mm-hmm. one of Margot's sisters attended the hearing wearing Margot's like medical tag that showed like Dr. Margot and said that she was really happy about the decision. She said she saw Doug in the grocery store earlier that year and couldn't even fucking say anything to him. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine the the, the torture? She said, quote, my mother is gone, my sister is gone, and I'm just tired. <laughs> my heart. I can't. Before Margot's death, she was a member of the American Board of Family Practice, the American Academy of Family Physicians, the National Board of Family Examiners, the National Medical Association, the Ohio Academy of Family Physicians, the State of Ohio Medical Board, the Akron Black Nurses Association. She was also a diplomat of the National Board of Medical Examiners, and she won Northeastern Ohio University College of Medicine's Superior Service to the Community Award. <laughs> She's what we call an all-around American all-star. Like, yes. Period. <laughs> African-American wow. all-star. <laughs> you deserve a round of applause, Margot. And after her death, she received some spots around Ohio dedi- dedicated specifically to her. So one was being uh, gymnastics of Ohio and then another being the city of Akron, which I thought wow. was pretty cool. And then 
In most recent news, Margot and Doug's 34-year-old daughter named Kenya Prey died on July 22nd, 2019 after battling a long-term illness. She was working as a nurse practitioner at the time of her death. And she graduated from Kent State University just like her mom and was a member of Kappa Alpha Mu, the honorary nursing society. R.I.P. Kenya. And she maintained her father's innocence until her last breath. I don't know about that, but R.I.P. Kenya. (laughs) R.I.P. Kenya. I don't blame you for, you know, wanting so bad for your dad to be innocent that you kind of may have been delusional about it. I don't blame you about that at all. And she does have a surviving sister um, that posted on, I think, yeah, her, her Facebook page about her sister's death and stuff and just said she's happy that she's just not suffering anymore. So. It's really sad. Really, really sad case. Horribly sad. Like, even though he was convicted, like, I'm still horribly sad. Yeah. Like, I, I, it was hard for me to be like, you know, fuck, he got out. Like, I'm so angry, which I was definitely angry. But to see the pictures of him and his grandkids, like, being able to be together, I was happy for them because it looked like they were happy. You know, even though they only got a year with him, it was just nice to see those kids smile and like, whatever. But at the end of the day, I genuinely feel in my heart that he ta- he took her life. He's responsible for taking her life. And whoever is involved, he probably is just going to be riding for them and not saying shit about it. Cough, cough, Carla. I have no words. And that's our case <laughs> for this week. That was intense. <laughs> it was super intense. Super intense. But on a lighter note, you guys, next week, our new merch site will be up. I'm so Yay. excited. And uh yeah, I may do like a giveaway. I may do something cute. We'll see. Yeah. But stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram for more information. And thank yeah. you for staying with us through this horrible case. Um, R.I.P. <laughs> Margot and Kenya prayed. For sure. R.I.P. to those beautiful ladies. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And yeah. Enjoy your weekend. And as always, be safe, protect your peace, and, and protect, protect your, space. your space. Bye. Absolutely. Bye. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.